And now, please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Growing up a Protestant, I rarely heard much about Mary in church. There's long been this suspicion of Mary in Protestant circles, as though to speak of Mary too much was somehow Roman Catholic. This was especially true in Massachusetts with its large Catholic population. Hail Mary, full of grace. Don't say those words. Looking back on this neglect of Mary, looking back on it, this neglect of Mary really is unfortunate. We miss the opportunity to lift up motherhood and women. We don't get to celebrate the, the life of a remarkable woman of faith and see what meaning it has for us. But at the close of Advent, we do focus on Mary. What a treat. And today's text is the famous Annunciation. Looking through this text more closely, one thing that struck me was how few details that it has. We hear about the angel Gabriel visiting Mary in Nazareth, but we don't know where in the town it happened or at what time of day. We don't know whether Mary was alone. Could others have seen the angel appear, or did he appear to Mary as in a dream? When Mary spoke to Gabriel, could others hear her words? It can be assumed that Mary was the typical age for a young woman betrothed to a man, which would, have, which would have made her a young teenager. Since it was after her betrothal, but before her marriage, Mary would likely have been living with her parents. Were they farmers? Were they craftsmen like Joseph? All we do know is that Gabriel appeared and announced the incredible news to the frightened young woman. She would bear a son. His name would be Jesus. He would sit on the throne of his ancestor David. He would be great and called Son of the Most High. The Holy Spirit would overshadow her and be involved in her conception. She was the favored one of God. And she responded to this incredible news with the words, Behold the servant of the Lord. Let it, me, let it be with me according to your word. Scholars have, have various things to say about this passage. Luke has carefully interwoven texts about John the Baptist with parallel texts about Jesus. This text mirrors Gabriel's earlier appearance to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, for example. One thing that's not clear, in spite of the traditional dating of this text, is when it happened during the year. The Annunciation is generally celebrated on March 25th, which is nine months before December 25th, for obvious reasons. But there's no sound evidence in the text for either of these dates. Personally, I prefer to think of this text happening in a time not too different from the one we're in now. In the bleak midwinter, Gabriel comes to Mary. It's cold outside in Palestine. There's a dampness to the air, particularly at night, that gets the cold into your bones. The days are shorter and the light is lower in the sky, casting a tired dullness on the landscape. With the field, uh, where the fields are empty of crops. The bleak midwinter applies not only to the time of year, but to Mary herself. What will her future life be like with Joseph? The marriage was likely arranged by her parents to provide her stability. According to Christian tradition, Joseph was married before, and his first wife died, so he is much older than Mary, and with much more life experience. What did she feel about that? She had an uncertain future, and she was only a young teenager. It makes sense that when Gabriel appears, 
she's deeply shaken and afraid. What now? What will happen to me next? I feel your pain, Mary. I really do. We're in the cold of winter, with the coronavirus raging all around us. We're locked in our homes or apartments, doing our best to carry on. Our plans for the holidays are different this year, and we still might be uncertain about whether we should visit family or friends. Someone appears out of nowhere and gets too close to us, and we're instinctively afraid. Meanwhile, people are unemployed or underemployed. Bleak midwinter indeed. And in this bleak midwinter, Gabriel appears and says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. That's the essence of the message of the text. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, Mary, in particular. God has chosen you. What do we make of this statement? The line brings to mind what scholars call the scandal of particularity. Christianity asserts that at one time in history, and in one person, God decided to become fully manifest on earth. While it's a message of good news, the question arises, why there? Why Mary? Why Nazareth? Does God choose places to show up? Are sometimes or places therefore better than others? How can the message be truly universal if it's so particular? Have you thought about that? What implications does it have for your life that God chooses some people and places and not others? Underlying the scandal of particularity are certain assumptions about God. God is omnipotent. God has a will like humans and resides in heaven. From there, God decides when and where to intercede in human affairs. In our passage for this morning, God decides to show up in Nazareth and not somewhere else. But what if you changed your view on God? Could you think of God in a different way? And if so, what impact might that have on the Annunciation and its interpretation? These past few months, I have been co-leading a growth group on God in the 21st century. In that class, we've been reading a fascinating series of essays that explore how various theologians have wrestled with God in their lives. These essays interweave personal narrative with theological reflection. Most of the essays begin with the authors describing how they grew up with fairly traditional views on God, the view that I just mentioned. God as omnipotent and up in heaven and choosing when and where to show up. What's so intriguing about these essays that we've read is that they relate how each person had a gradual realization or sometimes sudden realization that this old conception of God is deeply flawed. For some of the authors, it began with a breakdown of the inerrancy of the Bible. They were brought up in fundamentalist churches in which the Bible was the inerrant word of God. That biblical view was coupled with this traditional view on the nature of God. Once the authors began to see the Bible in a new light, they also began asking deeper questions about God. Our author this past week began his own mature rethinking of God after his son was diagnosed with autism. The author was a rabbi serving a conservative Jewish congregation in Southern California. The more he and his wife struggled to care for their autistic child, the more the rabbi found himself disbelieving in the traditional view on God. If God was all-powerful and made choices about when to be present, why had God chosen not 
to heal his son. He was a faithful Jew and a good rabbi. He devoted his life to serving God. This was the reward he got. His frustration with God allowing his son to be autistic led the rabbi to stop praying for two years. His crisis of faith also led him to earn a doctorate in religion and science so he could learn more about God. In the course of his painstaking research, he began to come across again and again throughout history those who had a different, far more nuanced view of God. In his words, he discovered, quote, that the cosmos is interactive, dynamic, and self-determining. Through my readings in science and philosophy, I came up with a distillation of the universe that is profoundly relational, in which all identities exist in their connection to each other, and they modify each other by their own, cho by their own choices. I realize that this, is, that this is a universe that is profoundly dynamic, not static. It's a universe of timeliness and not timelessness. For this rabbi, his new theology of God, quote, is a way to make sense of my son's struggles and triumphs. It allows me to affirm that my son isn't being judged or tested, that he is, in fact, like all of us, living with the, with the, randoms working, with the random workings out of the natural order, and that meaning is to be fashioned by our response to life, not by happenstance. What that new understanding makes possible for me is that I'm no longer afraid of an all-powerful, all-knowing bully in the sky. I no longer construe the world through the lens of a morality play in which there are winners and losers, although there are beloved and outcast. Instead, divinity reveals itself as permeating all worlds. There is nothing, nothing in the world, no moment of time, no place, no created event that is not marinating in God. What a powerful and moving testimony. God is relational, not all-powerful. God has dynamic presence, not static being up in heaven. God is modifying the world and being modified in return. God is permeating all things, all people. It is this reading and these theologies that force me to take another look at the Annunciation, and in particular at that greeting of Gabriel's. In light of what the rabbi said, listen again to Gabriel's words. Kare, the first word, can mean greeting, but it can also, but it, but it actually is the imperative form of the word to rejoice. Gabriel begins by telling Mary to rejoice. He then labels her as highly favored, or more literally, full of God's grace, full of God's favor. He closes with those memorable lines, the Lord is with you. Notice Mary's reaction as well. The greeting, quote, thoroughly disturbed her and led her to think deeply on what this might mean. Look at these lines again from the perspective of the rabbi and his relational ever-present God. Gabriel says, rejoice, Mary. Be excited, be happy. God's grace and favor infuse your life. There is something you need to know. The Lord is with you. God is ever-present. God is not, in some, is not some distant, inscrutable, even capricious father, but right here, always here. No wonder why Mary was so disturbed. Her traditional view on God as distant and out in heaven was untrue. It forced her to think on what these words truly meant. And of the child? The child is literally the Son of God. He will bring the good news of God's kingdom to people. If people listen to him, follow him, embody his awareness of God, the world will be changed. 
He will reveal the kingdom of God to others. He will show that God is ever-present and luring us to more compassionate living. Mary's response to all of this, all this is to say that she is the servant of God, the same God who is all around her and with her and in the midst of that bleak midwinter. She opened herself up to God being with her. How do we do the same? How do we hear these words of Gabriel anew? How can we be aware of God's presence with us? How can we open ourselves up to that presence? If there's any time of year when we tend to get overly focused on the future, on all the things that need to get done, on endless to-do lists and pressures, it is this time. How ironic that at the very time when we're supposed to be opening ourselves up to God's presence, we are less and less aware of the present moment. I have to admit that I've been very caught up in all that there is to do this season. This is a busy time at church. Because of the confusion of COVID, our stewardship campaign got off to a later start than normal. And so, and, and so there's far more budgeting and fundraising these weeks than normal. We're in the midst of fashioning a truly exciting and bold strategic plan for the congregation, which is wonderful, but which takes up far more time later in the season than normal. In addition, there are other things that will come before the annual meeting that have led to lots of deep conversations about important issues at church. I find myself in church meetings until late nearly every night. And if I find myself honest, and if I'm honest, I find myself worrying now more than I would in the usual year. Can I see that friend who wants to catch up? Is it safe to see my friend, given the COVID explosion, especially now since the cold makes outdoor interactions harder or at least less fun? That worrying and busyness has distracted me from being present in the here and now. As I pondered this text all week, I realized how desperately I needed to hear its basic message. I needed this reminder from Gabriel, the Lord is with you. Look around. One of my dear friends prompted me to download the app Budify on my phone. This app is one of many meditation apps, and it has a different guided meditation for different moments during the day. It's allowed me, and importantly reminded me, to stop and meditate. Things will be okay. I'm grateful also to the reminders from some of you to do the same. Ed Hennig has been such a blessing to me and to this congregation. He leads our mindfulness group every Tuesday morning. And while I haven't been able to participate as much as I'd like, each break I do get, I relish. And Ed asks the group each week to say how mindfulness practice has allowed us to savor the present during the past seven days. I get to hear one person after another relate that he or she has seen the world with new eyes by simply stopping, listening, breathing, smelling, and, well, living. The Lord is with you. I'm grateful for the co-leader of my growth group, Mary Lou Strange. Mary Lou and I take turns leading the discussions on God in our group. Usually as a minister, whenever you're, in a, whenever you're with church folks, you are the one talking, leading, guiding. How great it was this past Tuesday night to sit back and listen while Mary Lou did a wonderful job teasing out the nuances of this essay we read. I heard how others wrestled with their changing conceptions of God and how the rabbi's story of his child's autism affected them. 
I felt truly restored and enlightened after the group finished its talk. I was beaming from ear to ear because I'd felt fully present. Psychologists and spiritual leaders have long given us tools to live in the here and now and to be more aware of God around us. One technique is to share experiences of the world with others. When you tell someone else about a great moment, a wonderful meal, a memorable sight or sound, you can relive that moment in the here and now. It heightens your perceptions of what you see, much like artists say that drawing forces them to notice details in the world more closely. Try it this week. Try sharing a memory of a moment, a perception, with someone you care about. Talk about what it felt like, how your senses perceived things. Then see what happens afterwards, how you notice things differently. Another tool is to take mental photographs of a scene where you try to remember each detail. For me, I do this exercise as I stand in front of my doorstep in my little garden. I listen for the birds in the trees and try to see them. I feel the breeze and notice the growth in my garden from day to day. Does a plant need watering? How is its appearance speaking to me? Time slows down while I stand in my garden while I take my mental picture. Do you have a place, a special place in your house where you like to stand and take it all in? A place you find restorative? Another technique for being aware of the present is to celebrate life's moments. How often do you congratulate yourself on the small victories of daily life? Do you look at your Christmas tree or other decorations and stop and say, I did that. I helped create that beautiful object. Well done me. I bought a well-considered gift for someone. I took the time to think about what someone else might really want, what they might not buy for themselves, and I treated them to it. I baked something new for the first time this season, a beautiful and tasty pear tart, and arranged the carefully cut slices just so. The simple action of taking time to acknowledge what you've done, the small things you've done, helps you to savor them more to savor the world that is infused with God that much more. Take time now and picture the scene with Mary and Gabriel. Construct it however you like in your mind. Did it happen indoors? If so, what furniture did the room have? Was there a candle burning? Did it give off, did it give off a faint aroma? Or perhaps the smell from dinner still lingered in the room. What was it like? What did it feel like to be in the presence of an angel? Was there a sense of the sublime? How did the words sound, their pacing and rhythm and tone? As you stand there in that space with Mary by her side, what does she look like, her expression? Can you with her hear the words, the Lord is with you? Rejoice, you who are full of God's favor and love, the Lord is with you. The Lord is all around you and within you, even on this bleak midwinter. Take that picture with you this week and with its stresses and ups and downs, return to it and remember the words. These words and the truth behind them have the power to turn a bleak midwinter into something magical, a young virgin into the mother of God, a world infused with the divine.